My name is Rob Berger, and yes, we're five minutes early. I was just so excited. I couldn't wait. Uh, but actually, what I thought I'd do is start a few minutes early to see if we have any technical issues. I did reboot my computer before starting, so hopefully that's good. And hopefully I've got the right microphone turned on. I see I'm peaking a bit. Maybe that helps. Bring it down just a little bit. That looks good. So um, if anyone's joined yet, and you can give me a thumbs up on the, I guess, video and audio, that would be great. I'm actually going to, let's see here, into YouTube so I can see this thing live. Hmm. I've got thumbs up. Shelf looks nice. You know, uh, I guess it's ratty. You know, I, I cleaned it up for you. I'm just going to be honest. Uh, and my wife was getting on me. I, I don't know yet. So question, I, like, I kind of want like a line of books behind me on that shelf. Not so much. This isn't like to create some sort of effect for the, for the show. It's just a convenient place to put books. Speaking of which, I just got this in the mail. Inside the yield book, um, the classic that created the science of bond analysis. I can't wait to read this. And I skimmed through it. I literally got it an hour ago. Uh, and it looks very readable. You know, if you, like I majored in English, all right? I'm going to be honest with you. So, you know, there's some math in here, but it doesn't look too bad. Of course, I haven't read it yet. I'm really looking forward to this. Um, I have a question for you, and then I'm going to get to the topics I have, including a portfolio review. And then I'll get to your questions, but I do have a question for you. I have a couple. Let's see here. Engage with your audience. Start a poll. So as you know, I've been sort of tracking my credit card rewards and investing it. It's up to like 30 grand or something. My question for you is, how do I want to phrase this? Is tracking my credit card rewards uh, useful? I don't know. Interesting? Helpful? Should I keep doing it? Like, would you, should I keep tracking it separate from the rest of my investments, which I'm happy to do, and then give you an update, I don't know, once a month or whatever, with my strategy and how it's going. The reason I started doing that was, the theory was, it would give a real live example of how relatively small dollars invested consistently over time can turn into a pile of cash. And um, I thought it was a creative way too, because we can all cut back on our spending to save more, and many times we should, right? But there are plenty of painless ways to save money, right? You reduce your car insurance because you shop around and you save a hundred bucks, you know, a quarter or every six months. Well, you've not changed your lifestyle one bit, and you've saved some money that you can then put towards debt or invest or whatever. Um, so anyway, this was sort of an example of that. But I'm just curious how useful, helpful, or interesting you find it. So there. Okay. So while you're answering that question, I got, I've gotten a lot of emails about brokered CDs and bank CDs. And so I thought I would just talk about it here so that when I get the next email, I can just send them the video. Huh? Uh, they're very similar. So with a bank CD, you're investing in a CD directly with the bank. And if you, if you want your money back before the term of the CD expires or matures, uh, usually you have to pay a penalty, right? Now there are no penalty CDs. We've talked about that and we've looked at some of them, but most CDs beyond that, there's a penalty for early withdrawal. But if, if you want to cash it in, you go to the bank, you say, I want my money back. They're going to give you 
you know, everything, if you bought $10,000 CD, you're going to, you, you've earned whatever interest that's yours. You're going to get the 10,000 back. In other words, it doesn't fluctuate in value based on interest rates. Interest rates could have fallen very low or gone very high since you bought it. Uh, you're going to get your 10,000 back and then you'll less a penalty. And the penalty tends to get larger. It's usually based on some number of days or months of interest. And uh, it tends to get larger for longer term CDs. All right, so that's a bank CD. The way a brokered CD works is, is, is Vanguard or Fidelity or Schwab, they go to a bank and they buy up a, you know, a truckload of, they put a truckload of money in CDs and then they sell them to their customers. It's like, And so you're not really buying directly from the bank. This is like buying a CD on the secondary market. And um, the difference though is if you wanna get out early, you can, but you don't go to the bank, right? The bank's got nothing to do with this now. You just sell it to another buyer. And if you're on Fidelity, for example, they're, they're going to have a market where the typically I've never actually tried to, I've never purchased a brokered CD. So I don't know how deep their markets, how easy it is to sell a CD. Of course, again, you can always wait till it matures, right? But if you want to sell it early, I don't know how, if there's ever a time where there's not a lot of liquidity, I don't know, maybe someone in the chat who's done this can, can share their experience, but you're effectively selling to another buyer. And so there's no early withdrawal penalty, right? Because no one's going to the bank and taking the money out early, but what the buyer is willing to pay you, just like a bond, is going to depend on the interest rate the CD is earning, uh, which will be based on you know what it was earning when you bought it, and um, what the current rates are, right? So as we know, if if rates have gone up, so that they could go get a new brokered CD directly, say from Fidelity, at a higher rate than your CD, and you want to sell yours, you're going to have to discount it because why else would they buy it, right? And if rates have gone down, you get a premium. So. You know, that's the, in that sense, brokered CDs uh, trade and, and, and behave a lot like bonds, right? Um, the other thing I wanted to mention, it's not directly related to brokered CDs and, uh, versus bank CDs. By the way, I got an email. I get emails. I've been, I spent literally the entire day, except I did do hot yoga, which I can tell you about if you want. But apart from that, and picking my wife and mother-in-law up from the airport, uh, answering emails, I, 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 my emails go all the way back to the 5th of August. That's how behind I am for emails for, for this show. And I spent, I bet you I spent five or six hours today responding to emails and I've made it to like August 22nd. <laughs> That's how far behind I am. Now, you may have gotten a response to me on more recent emails because I, I try to clear out my inbox. But anyway, um, I got an email about Fidelity and I'll show you this. So if we go to their fixed income page, I'll pull it up here and show it to you. Let's see if it's gotten any better. There were a lot of brokered CD uh, terms that weren't available. Now they're back now. So here's their, their brokered CDs. I don't know if you can see it. It's this line right here. I don't know how well you can see that. Make it a little bigger. And they've got from three months all the way to 10 years. Uh, just the other day, they only had like three. But as I responded to the viewer that emailed me, you know, they're going to, that's just a fluctuation you know, they may have sold what they had. They've bought more. They have access to more. The rates here are good. They're not the best. Like if I go to my site, so I was, pr I'm proud of my team, by the way, they track, if you go, if you hover over bank CD, you get all these terms, but if you just click this one right here, what you actually get is the full database. And we've got, I'm proud of them. They got 425 CDs now in our database. That's pretty good.
And the best one, this is a save better offer, 5%, but it's for 22 months. So you can do five, I guess, 515 for 10 years or 510 for three years. Um, uh, Bread Bank has a, a pretty good offer, uh, but that's for a five-year CD. I'm not sure. I don't know if I want to lock my money up that long. Um, then you got Fidelity. And I, let's see, are we accurate? One year, four, seven. What, what are they? One year. Yeah. The team does a great job. I, I mean, there's always going to be mistakes. If you see a rate that's wrong, please let me know. And if, if you see better CDs, let me know. But they've done a pretty good job. I want to get more brokered CDs in there. Anyway, all right. That's that. That's brokered CDs versus bank CDs. Then I wanted to show a quick portfolio. Here it is. It's right here. I don't know how well you can see this. This is the current note-taking app that I'm playing with. It's called Tana, T-A-N-A. -A. I really like it. Uh, I don't know. Can I make this bigger? There we go. It's kind of bigger. Anyway, this was an, a, a portfolio that a viewer emailed me. I'm going to try to do one a week. I mentioned that a while back and hadn't been doing it. But anyway, this is an interesting portfolio. So it's it's 75% U.S. stocks and then 25%, I'll say bonds. It's 20% total bond market, total U.S. bond market, and then 5% in a money market fund. So um, the one I'm going to do with these, I don't want to get into like specific analysis of your specific situation or the person that sent me this. I'm just going to comment about the portfolio generally, maybe talk about who I think this portfolio might be good for, the questions I would ask. So the first question is, why do we have three different total U.S. stock market funds? Now, I understand they're held at three different places. I don't know if you can see that. They're held at Vanguard, Fidelity, and Schwab. But these are all ETFs. You can buy any one of them for free at any of those brokers, right? doesn't matter where you are. It's not so much that this is a mistake to have three different total U.S. Uh, stock funds. I just, it's a question why add the complexity. The thing that I found interesting about these three funds, because I did look them up. Of course, I'm very familiar with um, Vanguard's VTI. Let's see here. Okay. Let me, let me do something real quick. I'm going to get rid of that. And then I'm going to get rid of, there we go. Trying to clean up my, my screen real estate. All right. Uh, we don't need this. There's the, see, I look blurry. How do I look to you guys? You guys said I was okay. Oh, my mom's in the chat. Hey, mom, I love you too. Go Buckeyes. Anyway, um, hopefully it looks okay. Here's VTI and in Morningstar, right? And we can see the blue dot, right? That tells us that uh, this fund uh, invests uh, in large companies. That's the top row. You see it says large over here. And in the, it's in the middle quadrant, I guess, or middle, I guess, column. And BLD is blend, which means it's a blend of value and growth stocks. And that's just because it's the whole market, right? And if we look at Schwab's, the blue dot, same spot, right? And if we look at uh, iShares, blue dot, same spot, right? Blue dot, same spot. I don't know. I should trademark that. Probably not. Uh, what I found interesting is this. If we, if we scoot down to the bottom, we see that um, iShares has 3,300 stocks in there in this fund. Vanguard, I guess not to be outdone, has over 4,000. And Schwab, just 2,500. And that was interesting. And I thought, well, you know, I wonder how that affects performance. I mean, I wouldn't think that they would be, I mean, they might be similar, but I mean, that's a pretty significant difference. Now, these are capitalization weighted funds, meaning the larger the company, the more is invested in that company.
they're not, they don't just evenly distribute money uh, across two or three or 4,000 companies. So Apple has the largest share. And you can see, we'll just use this fund, which is Schwab's. You can see it here. Of this whole fund, Apple represents 5.7, whoops, that's not what I wanted to do. 5.71% of the fund. I guess I won't click on it right here. Microsoft's 465, Amazon 226, and it goes on down. And you get down to the last company, and it's probably a fraction of 0.01. You have to go out probably a couple of decimal places. So how do all of these three funds compare? Well, I put it in Portfolio Visualizer, and the data I get is eh, pretty good, 12 years, roughly. Look at this. Believe it or not, right here, this is their portfolio growth. There's three lines there. You just can't see them all because they're right on top of each other. They've basically, they've been identical. If we actually look at the numbers, 12-16 uh, compound annual growth rate, 12-15, 12-13. I mean, no, no difference to speak of at all, um, which I found kind of interesting. So, you know, nothing wrong with having these three funds. I don't know that it's, it's necessary, but I don't know that it hurts anything. Um, the question, so questions I would have, so it's a 75, I'll, I'll say 25 portfolio. Some might call it a 75, 20, and then a five portfolio separating cash from, from bonds. But so, well, I'll just call it 75, 25 for our purposes. I think that is a reasonable long-term portfolio for me. If it's, if it's a long-term think decades, a little on the conservative side. Uh, but I certainly wouldn't say it's outside the range of reasonableness. If you're retired, I would put it on the high end of what you would have. I, I, I don't think I'd probably go into retirement with more than 75% in stocks. Again, there's always going to be exceptions and, you know, you may have pensions and social security that covers all your expenses and you want to get, leave a lot to charity and your kids and whatever, and you're fine. You still, you know, you're not going to touch this money. So, you know, if you're 65 and you assume you live to 95, it's just going to sit there for 30 years and do, you're not going to spend it. Well, then, you know, you, you, you might be a, a 90, 10 or whatever. Uh, but I do have some comments here. One is there's no international exposure. You know, I'm, I, I'm, I understand it's underperformed, but I think, I still think you should have international exposure. That's my preference. I would argue this is something I've been thinking a lot about, um, you know, of all of the other ways to tilt your portfolio, you know, add a more, add more emerging markets, add more small cap value, add REITs or whatever. I, if I had to pick one, Maybe it'd be a toss-up between small cap value and REITs, but I'd kind of lean, lean towards REITs, believe it or not. Um, so that would be a, a question. Why not have some REITs? And then the last question I have here, I have no problem with the total bond market fund. I own, well, I, effectively, I own the same fund. I don't actually own that ticker. Uh, and this just and it just tracks the Bloomberg, ag, ag, they call it the AG, the aggregate U.S. bond fund. By the way, Comment, this does not include tips. So there's no inflation protected bonds. So if you wanted to diversify your bond portfolio further, you'd go to tips. Oh, hang on for a second. Uh, Anna's car? Anna's car. Anna's car. Just give me a call. <laughs> there you go. Sorry about that. I'm back. Um, what was I saying? Yeah, so there's no tips in here. So if you wanted tips, and I, th I think it's worth having some, you'd need a second bond fund. The other thing I'd say is if I wanted to keep 5% in cash, I probably wouldn't keep it in a Vanguard money market fund. What is it paying? I'm guessing it's paying no more than three. Vanguard money market fund. VMFXX, which I think I have. Year-to-date return. What's its SEC? What's its yield? I'll show you what I'm looking at. 
always have trouble finding the yield. Uh, here we go. Yeah, it's three fifty-seven, but you're going to do better with like T bills. Like I'd put it in probably a three month. If we go back to, I could find it on Vanguard. But if we go back to Fidelity's um, fixed income, what's the T bill paying? Four four thirty. So it's paying more, and you know you might be comfortable at six months with your cash maybe that'd be something to think about you know uh the other thing you can do by the way uh I, i'm pretty sure and maybe you can do this at vanguard i know you can do it at fidelity if you if you you know the nice thing about a money market fund is you just put it in there and then you know you don't have to about worry about reinvesting it it just stays in there interest goes back in there and then you spend it or whatever when you need to well on a T-bill, you can set it up so that like Fidelity will automatically reinvest back into whatever, a three-month T-bill when it matures. That's one option. Uh, if, if you just want to like put it in somewhere and just let it sit there until you need it. And you can always sell T-bills. I mean, there's, I guess, technically some interest rate risk, but a three-month T-bill, not much. And then in my my newsletter that I sent out, it's making sure people are still watching. I, sometimes I feel like maybe you guys have all left and you're laughing and I'm just sitting here by myself talking and no one's... Anyway, uh, in the email, in the newsletter I sent out Sunday, and you can subscribe to that below the video, not at the moment, actually, I don't think it's there. If you go to robberger.com forward slash newsletter, that's where you'll find the sign up. Anyway, I mentioned uh, Bond, this was a new fund family, Bond Blocks, B-L-O-X-X. -X. And I thought this was kind of interesting. I haven't, can't say I spent a whole lot of time studying it, but, um, oh, here we go. I want to go to products. What they do, so like they have a Bloomberg six-month target duration U.S. Treasury ETF. So what this means is it's constantly, it's maintaining the portfolio so that it has an average duration of six months in T-bills. Uh, so, it, you know, unlike, say, a bullet share or uh, I-bonds, and that's a small I, I-bonds, not the I-bonds we've been talking about in the past, those all uh, are target date. So they, you know, they end at some point and give you your money back and you've got to reinvest it, which is not, not a big deal necessarily, but you can just keep your money in this and it just continues to stay at that duration. It's very inexpensive, three basis points. There is a bid ask spread. I think this says it's around four bips. So, you know, you might call this a seven basis point, although that's just when you buy or sell. But anyway, um, I thought I'd mention that. All right. I feel like I've gone on longer than I normally do in the intro. Did I miss anything? I don't know. How did the poll do? And then we'll get to your questions. You guys, let's see. 63% said yes. Okay, well, I'm sorry to the 37% that said no. You may just have to suffer through an update now and again. I don't know what to tell you. Okay. Um, let me do one more. Let me do another poll, actually, and then I'll get to your questions. You can answer this. this um, I had a couple I wanted to ask you, but uh, so that was the one on my credit cards. Uh, rewards, which by the way is up to, I need to cash in some more rewards. I think it's over 30,000 again. It went down because of the stock market losses. All right. Here's the question I want to ask. Here we go. The question is how many, if, this is for those folks that have, that have, have had someone manage your money. I, I guess, yeah, let's, yeah. You know, you've, you've had a, an advisor at some point. How many funds did your advisor uh, put you in? I guess that's the way we'll put it. 
No, that's not what I want to do. Hang on. Let's get rid of that. Go here. Poll. And so we'll say, um, we'll say uh, less than, less than five. And then we'll say five to 10. I don't know. 10 to 15. I've seen some crazy portfolios. Let's see. We'll do less than five, five to 10, 10 to 15, and then we'll just do 15 plus. There you go. I'd be curious. I, by the way, if you have some crazy portfolio that your advisor put you in with 27 different ETFs, please send it to me. I, you know, I'd love to like evaluate it. We need to, we really need to get the word out to people that are considering advisors that this kind of thing matters. And it's, you know, you can have an advisor, but if they're going to put you in, in, in 22 different expensive funds, that's just crazy. All right. Well, as I like to say, enough chit-chat. Let's get to your questions. Thank you, by the way, for tolerating my intro. Half of you probably just say, you know, I'm going to join at 7.15. Rob should probably be done by then. <laughs> oh, this is a new one. This is a new one. Hey, Rob, has anyone ever said you sort of look like Elvis? So, no. And I'm certainly hoping you're thinking young Elvis. You know what I'm saying? Because, anyway, I'm actually old enough to remember... Uh, him be doing his TV shows at the end. Well, I remember them being at the end of his career. But no, I can assure you that no one has ever said that, thought that, considered it. Nope. And I certainly don't sing like him. Here we go. So Capital Mindset gave your channel a thumbs up. No big deal, but it's nice to be liked. It is nice to be liked. I don't know. Should I know who Capital Mindset is? I don't, I, I feel bad. All right. Well, I like it. Here's Capital Mindset. He's wearing glasses. I need to get my, you know, I do have glasses. Hang on. Maybe I should do a poll glasses or no glasses. See, I don't really need glasses. Occasionally, if the print is small, <coughs> excuse me, I need glasses to read. I don't even need them to pass the driving test. I'm more nearsighted, so it's more like driving at night, but even then, I don't need them. Uh, anyway, see, like, like here, my, my monitor is here that I'm reading from. It's actually harder to read for me with the glasses on. Okay. Here we go. Amy, maybe I need to hire you. She says, the set stylist to me thinks you should have lighting. Well, I do have lighting, but you mean like some sort of thing behind me, maybe coming up from the floor, blue perhaps, I don't know. A house plant. Okay, books. Well, I have some, but yeah. Maybe a line of books. I like that idea. And an interesting sculptural type piece. Hmm. So what I do have, <coughs> excuse me, I'm still not actually 100% over that cold. This painting was my father's. It's the ugliest painting I've ever seen in my life. It's not a, a valuable painting at all or painted by anyone. Um, it's an orig original, but not by anyone that, that matters as far as I can tell. But he has a Leroy Neiman. Now, not an original Leroy Neiman. It was a, oh, I forget the kind of print they call it, but it's signed. It's nice of uh, Alabama. It's Joe Namath, his quarterback. Bear Bryant's the coach playing Tennessee. And it's right over there and it's red and orange. 
Maybe that should go back there. It's not a house plant, though, so I don't know. All right. Uh, so the question uh, is, what are the 2023 IBON limits? I don't think they've changed, right? They don't adjust like for inflation. Now, um, there was legislation. They have changed over the years. And I believe there's legislation to increase the limit to 30,000. I think that's the number. Someone can correct me if I'm wrong. But as far as I know, I, I have no idea how it's, if it's progressing. Well, nothing's happening right now, of course. By the way, I don't want to get into the whole election thing, but I, I just have to say one thing. It is 2022. Can't we get the results within 24 hours? I don't understand this. Apparently, most of the country can. Why can't the, the, the districts that can, can do it go over to the districts that can't and help them out? I don't know. Give, introduce them to computers? What's the hold up? Anyway, it's not, that really has nothing to do with I-bond limits. I will comment briefly on the FTX thing. I'm surprised no one's asked about that yet. That's a question I should I won't ask because if some people have lost money, you probably don't want to think about it. Um, let's look at the poll. So, uh, so 18% of the responses or 50, there's been 60 votes, roughly 17%, 15 or more funds. Can you imagine that? And 10 to 15 funds for another 17%. Yeah. If you guys want to send me, I'll leave the poll up for a little bit, but if you guys want to send me any port, you know, I don't need dollars, just the tickers and the percent. That's all I need. And the type of account. Okay. So yeah, this was the first actual question about money, I think. So thank you. All right. Oh, FTX. I, I forgot about that. So what I've figured out, uh, I haven't figured out anything, but from what I've read, he had an exchange, right? Where it's just where people can buy and sell crypto. And then he had a hedge fund, effectively, Alameda. And apparently they took customer funds from the exchange, this is my understanding, and move them into the, the hedge fund, I guess, because they were having a liquidity, a liquidity issue, probably leverage. I mean, most hedge funds are leveraged. And uh, I don't know that, I don't, I don't know that, of course, anything, the details. I don't know if the plan was, well, we, know, we just need to get over the hump and put the money back. But I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's still very early on, but I, I don't see why, I don't see how people don't go to jail. I don't know. I guess we'll find out. I hope none of you got caught up in that. I know it's a terrible thing. I saw Kevin O'Leary, Mr. Wonderful. He apparently lost, I don't know how much, of course, but he lost some money. Kind of surprised me that he was in that. You know, he once said, uh, he said it many times, that he'll never invest in a stock that doesn't pay a dividend. Okay. Um, but he invests in that? I don't, I, I don't understand. That just seems, it seems like a contradiction to me, but I mean, he's obviously a very smart guy. Done very well for himself. Okay. So this is a really important question. I have no idea how to pronounce your name, but your question is a good one. So any thoughts on if the jump in the stock market last week will have legs to last or does the pending recession darken the market still? So I have two answers to that. First is in terms of how I think we should invest money, I have notes on that at all. I have no clue what the market's gonna do. And I don't invest based on you know, and that's true whether I'm buying an individual stock, which is a smaller portion of our portfolio, or buying an index fund. 
I have no idea. Um, uh, if I had to guess, I would say we're in for some more pain. Just because uh, if for no other reason, I think the Fed is going to uh, raise uh, rates more. You know, there is some talk that we might be at peak inflation and it could come down rapidly. Obviously, if that happened and, and the Fed stopped and pivoted, as people like to say, then at least for a time, uh, that would that would certainly um, be a strong indicator in favor of, 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 of a market going up. However, you know, there's been a lot of talk about earnings taking big hits come next year. And so we'll see how, you know, but n none of those things, you know, I mean, we're all just guessing. I, I, I love, the, you know, I, I, I like to read and, and listen to people that I think really give th these things some thought. But I'm still surprised at the, how strong of, the, of, a, of, a, of opinions people have over whether the Fed got it right or wrong. There's a lot of opinion that, boy, they better stop now. They've gone too far. Krugman, who is too political for me to put much faith in. Krugman, Krugman, I don't know how, he's an economist, writes for the New York Times, but he's a, he's very political. I mean, he politicizes a lot of his content, and so I don't trust it as much. Um, but from what I can tell, a pretty smart economist, he thinks they should stop raising. But I don't know. If I were, I mean, we'll see what, I think another, doesn't another inflation report come out this week? Uh, I would be, I mean, they're going to raise rates again. I'd be stunned if they didn't raise rates at their next meeting, but what do I know? Okay. Well, uh, Dinesh, th there, there really haven't been any changes. I will tell you one change that I'm probably going to make. So I, I've been, uh, I, I've been exploring balanced funds in the retirement account, as you may recall, just to simplify everything. Uh, and I was able to move into one and then a different one without making any you know, really significant changes at all to our asset allocation. But I, I'm finding it difficult to get the exact asset allocation I want because I don't have control of the allocation in the underlying fund. I mean, I picked it because it had an allocation that was close to what I wanted. But I don't want to rebalance in my taxable accounts if I can avoid it. So then I got to rebalance in my retirement accounts. But how do I do that if it's all in a balanced fund? That's the issue I'm having. So I'll probably move out of that, but it still won't, it certainly won't change my stock bond allocation. Uh, I suppose it will change to some extent the stock allocation slightly. I haven't looked at it in detail just because I probably won't own exactly what the balanced fund owned, but I, I you know, it won't be significant. And if I do that, I'll probably end up back at a, I guess I would call it a fund, a five fund portfolio-ish, five-ish. It's really more than five. I'll have U.S. stocks. I, st I have small cap. I'll have a, a total international. I won't separate out emerging probably. Um, I guess, yeah, it'll be five. Well, ish. I'll have probably have some REIT and then bonds. The reason I say five-ish is I'll probably, I'll probably have two bond funds because I, I want some tips. Um, well, technically, then I'll, I will have some T-bills. I have them now. So, but yeah, when I get that done, I'll do an update. See, and I can even in my new uh, app, I can make a note to myself. I can say Dinesh 
wants a portfolio update, I can give it a to-do, done. I can even say it's for YouTube, done. Okay, see, I haven't put a due date on it yet, but. Oh, this is great. Rap Freak, my eight-year-old is a great saver, but wants your advice on how and where to invest. OH, which of course, there's only one response to that, IO. Um, well, if I were an eight-year-old, I, I guess I would, you know what I would, I don't, you know, it's interesting. If I had an eight-year-old that was interested in investing, I, I probably would talk to them about an index fund. It could just be an S&P 500 or total U.S. stock market. I might talk to them about an individual stock too. Um, if I thought it could help spark their interest in investing and how to think about investing. Um, you know, if you think you've got a good company at a place that they enjoy going to, could be a, you know, yeah, like in my case, well, maybe I'm thinking if they like, they like Apple products. I don't think Apple right now is a great buy. You know, I was thinking about my Apple stock. I've owned it since 2013. I've only made purchases three times in 10 years. That's it. I wouldn't buy it today. Not that I think it's a bad investment at this price. It's just I don't think it's a great investment. Anyway, that's probably what I would do. I, but I, first thing I would do is be thrilled that I have an eight-year-old that's interested in investing. Are they watching? Yeah, I would just go with like a S&P 500 index fund and then maybe a couple of shares of a single company because it can be fun to follow it and learn about the company. And yeah, I'm sure if I thought about it more, I might have some other ideas, but that's what comes to mind. All right. Oh, by the way, if you if you have a topic you want me to cover, do try to tag me. I, it's just easier to find. Oh, here we go. So Steve says, due to you, I've invested my credit card rewards, uh, but not separately. I just tossed them in with the rest of my accounts. Well, that's and that's how I would do it if it weren't for you guys. I should make more of it on allcards.com because you know a lot of people come to that site just from search engines, and I I, I want to create some content that actually at least for a time, directs them away from the banking and the credit cards and say, hey, while I've got you here, let's talk about investing. I just need to create it. Well, this is an interesting question from Mr. Comment. Uh, do you drink tap water in your house or buy bottled water? Well, the answer is neither. Well, I guess it's tap, but it's filtered. We have a filter in our refrigerator. Speaking of which, So I, I confess, I didn't see that question coming. Noreen, thank you for being here. I'll keep my email open. You can email me if like there's an emergency on this on the on the stream tonight. All right. Uh no yoga. Thank you. Yoga was, so I do hot yoga. It's this sort of Baptiste flow power. I don't know. It's 95 degrees humid. Um, that I'm still getting used to, but I, I need the mobility. Yoga is a great workout. Um, okay. Hmm. This is, I've had this, this, Sam, I've had a similar question before. He says, I've been holding off on rolling over my 401k to my new employer until the market bounced back 
until the market bounced back to January highs because they can only do rollover by liquidation. Is this approach wise? People seem to, this seems to trouble folks. I kind of get it, I guess. But the point is this. So apparently they have to sell all of the investments to cash. And this is in a 401k, there's no taxes. So it goes to cash and then it's going to take some amount of time to get it over to the new 401k and then reinvest it. So you could be out of the market for a few days, I guess a few weeks. And I get that, but but I would say this, um, even if we're back to January highs, if you get out of the market for a week and a half or whatever to do the transfer and the market goes up, you're going to be just as upset, right? I mean, it, the real issue is not where it is uh, when you do the transfer, but the change between you know when you sell it and and when you when you get it back in. And just because we're at Jan back to January highs doesn't protect you from losing out on a a couple of good days like that one few days ago, we're up 7%, but it goes up, it goes down. I mean, what are you going to do? You know, I have to kind of think about that because the balance fund I'm probably going to get out of and just put it back into like a five fund portfolio is a, is a, um, or their mutual funds. So I don't know how long it's going to take to clear and then I can invest it. I could be out a, a day or two. I don't know, but I kind of just say, that's the kind of thing you just have to do if you're going to move the money. James, I don't know what hot yoga details you want. I, it's interesting. This yoga class is, is, is just about as many men as women, and they're 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 older. It's an older class. It's an older like everyone there. I mean, not everyone is old, but I mean, like the men are my age or older. Some of them are amazing. They're doing headstands and all kinds of crazy stuff, um, and the women too. And um, I'm there trying to fold over and not break my back. Uh, but you know, you're just, you're, a lot of this is you're flowing through different things. So you're doing, I, I don't know the yoga terms, but a high push up into a low push up into a, a what is it, upward facing dog to a downward facing dog and then a right leg up and then warrior and then warrior reverse two, warrior 2.3. I don't know. And you're moving through all of this. Um, and it's exhausting. I can't finish. I, I take some breaks. I mean, for me, the, the biggest thing is just adjusting to the heat. Okay. By the way, you know, it's actually an important issue for, I mean, at least for the, the, the those of you that are, you know, say my age or older, I think anybody, particularly as you age, you got to work on fitness and health. And for me, the biggest thing I have to work on is mobility. But the other thing, you know, a lot of folks have to work on is just losing muscle. Pretty important. Okay. So Jeff wants to purchase, I guess, some brokered CDs from Fidelity. Can you build a ladder? Yeah, they have a tool. If you Google, let's see, we do Fidelity CD ladder. I think they have a, a tool that does this for you. Yeah, here it is. If you just Google Fidelity CD ladder, you can model some CD ladders. I think you have to sign in. Yeah, they've even got a link for it over here. And they've got a nice little, uh, you can build a one-year ladder, a two-year, a five-year, although they're missing some CDs here. Oh, they've even got a video. There you go. All right, what do we got next?
Well, here we go. So Crispin38 says, how do you decide if it's better to invest the cash back or just use it as a statement credit to offset charges? Well, it doesn't really matter what I do. Like if I if I take it as a credit, say I got $200 in cash back and I just credit it to the account, I didn't just go into my checking account, take $200 out and put it into my credit card rewards investment fund. It's all fungible. So it doesn't, it doesn't much matter, right? Um, and in fact, that's effectively what I do. I get it all transferred to my bank account and then, tra- and then, well, I was transferring it from the bank account to M1 when I was using that platform Then I switched to Betterment. So it's transferring it there. Now I'll probably just keep it in a standard brokerage account, but figure out some way to keep it separate. If not, it may be just from a record keeping standpoint. I don't, I haven't figured that out yet. Right now it's in cash. So it's, it's done pretty good. <laughs> Woohoo. All right. Noreen says blurry. That's not good. I don't I don't know. Why are we blurry? I don't know. I will try to work on it. Are we still blurry? I'm gonna end this poll. Is the video blurry? Did I spell blurry right? Why does that look weird to me? Well, we'll see when you guys start answering. You probably can't read the question. Oh, 98% said no. I know what it is. 2% of you need glasses. Listen, it happens to all of us eventually. Okay. Well, that's good. All right. So Connors wants to know if Ohio State is ready for the Bulldogs. Well, number one, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. So number two, boy, I don't know. Georgia looks really good. All right. Here we go. A mutual fund question from, I don't know, Tom, I guess. What are your thoughts on comparing FXAIX and FNCMX? I really don't think we should compare them. That's my thought. No, let's compare them. I have no idea what they are. That's not entirely true. I don't know what that second one is. I know the first one. Let me pull them up on Morningstar and we'll take a look-see. Well, they're, yeah. So, I mean, they're just totally different. <laughs> that's my thought. So the first one is just an S&P 500 index fund, right? So we all know what that's about. Probably don't really need to look at it much. It's um, really inexpensive, one and a half basis points. The other one is a NASDAQ fund. So, you know, if we, just to kind of visually show you the difference, you'll see that it's got a lot, it's going to have a lot of technology stocks in it. So it's a very growth-oriented fund. Fidelity uh, 500 index is going to be more blend, right? And if we go down and look at the sectors, yeah, we can see 42% in technology. Whereas the S&P still has a lot, but it's not going to be that much, 23. So the way I see these is I see that an S&P 500 index as a good candidate for sort of 
the core part of your portfolio. You could use a total market U.S. fund too, but as sort of the core portfolio. I personally, uh, if I were going to, I would only think of the NASDAQ fund if I wanted to tilt my portfolio towards technology and growth by whatever, 10%. Um, I would not ever view it as part of the core of my portfolio. That would be my approach. All right. Looking for questions in all the wrong places. I don't, I don't know where that came from. It's just that I can't find a question. Ah, well, here's one from Clarice. What REIT ETF would you recommend? Well, I, I don't know if I recommend one. I can tell you the one I've always used. You know, it's actually a good question. I, as I was thinking about going out of this balance fund, and I thought, well, I put some money in a REIT. And I thought, well, will I use what I've always used or will I do some research? If I do research and have a different opinion, I'll let you know, but I've always used Vanguard's. I've used their mutual fund. This is their um, ETF version, low cost, 12 basis points. Um, you know, I, I will show you this, probably get in trouble. I'm going to get in trouble. So here's VNQ. And uh, get rid of these. And we're going to put in O. Huh. Maybe we're not. Well, it'll come up because it is a thing. So O uh, is Realty Income Corporation. So think of Vanguard is, this ETF is an index fund, right? It's, it's or actually, I don't know if it technically tracks an index, but it, it's, a, it's a fund of many REITs. I don't know how many. Well, let's take a look. How many REITs does it have in its portfolio? 166, right? Whereas Realty Income is a single REIT. Oops, you can't see it. Let me pull the uh, comment off. There we go. It's one, it's one REIT. So it's like buying a stock, right? It is like, you know, it's what it is. In fact, realty income is in, pretty sure it's in the S&P 500. Um, but boy, it's crushed Vanguard and probably all REIT index funds. By the way, I'm not suggesting you should go out and invest in realty income corporation. Uh, I don't know what I'm suggesting. It's just that I, in, in past day, not recently, but I've looked at this in the past and just noted its outperformance. Um, although this year, uh, no, it's done better this year, but last year it didn't underperform. But um, it's interesting. It seems to do better when when REITs really crash. That's interesting. I mean, when it's in, in up years, a lot of times it it does better or it doesn't do better, but it doesn't seem like for the most part that extreme. But boy, this really stands out, 008. And this year really stands out. Now, my under I haven't done a deep dive into realty income. Let me pull it up. Uh, but I think it invests in a lot of things like, you know, a Walgreens kind of building or a CVS kind of building. Here's the um, website. It does have, it has a phenomenal track record. In fact, by the way, if we... Um, it only goes back to 05 because I think that's the limit of Vanguard. Yeah, but it's older than that. So let's take this out. Let's put in SPY, which is just an S&P 500 ETF. I think we'll get more data maybe. Yeah, but now we go back to January of 95. Look, it's crushed. It's crushed the uh, S&P 500. <laughs> I mean, I, I kind of 
I'm reluctant to bring this up because, you know, now we're all going to want to dive into to realty income. I have no idea if it's a good purchase now or not. But man, they've done well. Okay, I don't even remember what the question was. <laughs> okay. Oh, REITs. Yeah. If I come up with any thoughts on that as I do my own research, I'll let you guys know. Peter, I think, so the question Peter asks is, what do you think about using short duration T-bills as part of your emergency fund since it offers high yields and state and local tax deduction benefits? I think it's perfectly fine. You can sell them anytime you want. If you're keeping them on the short end of the T-bills, the interest rate risk is going to be minimal. Um, you know, I, I probably would always keep some in a savings account that I could quickly transfer. I don't know how long, I don't know how long it would take to get access to your money, but I wouldn't think it's more than a day. Depend on the broker. I don't know. I actually have never sold a T bill. I just bought some for the first time. Noreen's asking for more thumbs up for Rob. Yes, please. Do we know how many thumbs up we have? It probably tells us. I've got se oh, 73 likes. Thank you. Is that the same? Is a like the same thing as a thumbs up? By the way, the thumbs up in the chat, I don't think they count. I mean, they count for me. I like to see them. All right. Here's another emergency fund question from Christian. Would you put an emergency fund into a prime money market fund for higher yield or a government-only money market fund for higher safety in a big liquidity crunch? Well... Normally, I wouldn't be worried about liquidity crunch. I mean, I understand 08, 09 or whatever when the, the, the money market funds <laughs> ran into problems. Uh, but th at the same time, I'm not sure you're going to necessarily get better rates uh, from those than what you get at banks. Um, I'm, uh, let me see what I've got. I'm going back to my site. I, not that this, I, I, we try to have the best rates, but it doesn't mean we will. These are money market accounts, not funds. Here's brilliant at 4%. I don't know a thing about the bank, but CFG at 385, UFB at 383. Savings accounts, I think might be a tad lower. Yeah, 383. I don't know. It's worth considering, I guess. So Rick, so Rick asks a great question. He says, short-term rates have been quite attractive. Do you think that the time will soon be to lock in longer-term rates, CDs, bonds, because the Fed is expecting to slow the increase? Here's the problem. I mean, yes, I think that will eventually happen. I just don't know when. And by the time we know, it'll be too late. That's the thing. You know, when you look at some of these, um, the, the yield curve, as they like to call it, let's go back to um, Fidelity. Uh, that's, yeah, that's what I want. So we can just use, well, we'll use, I guess, treasuries. The, the yields get higher, and then they kind of don't. They drop down two basis points, then they drop down some more. At two years, they drop down some more. They drop down some more. And it's, it's interesting at 20 years or at 431, but 10 years or 386. And you say, so like, well, why would I ever invest, let's say, in a, a 10 year at 386 when I can get, we'll just say a whatever, a nine month 
at 463. And the answer is, well, if imagine a year from now, this rate's back down to two. And this rate's at 225. Boy, you'd sure like that 386 yield, wouldn't you? Right? That's the problem. These look attractive, and right now they are. But, you know, there could come a day where you regret not putting, buying 10 years, right? Or some other direct, five year, or whatever. And what I've just come to accept for me is that I, I simply cannot predict in any way that I would feel reasonably comfortable what the future is for inflation and interest rates such that I can make that call. There are plenty of people out there that think they can and that try and do. Maybe there's some that succeed. I don't know. Um, I just, I, I'm pretty confident. I don't, I'm not one of them. So I think you're, you're best off to have a plan. Now it could be, you know, let's say you're going to have, and you're in retirement, you're going to have 30% in bonds or whatever. You can say, okay, I'm going to put 5% in, in treasury bills and split the rest between tips and, and nominal bonds, like the, like the Bloomberg ag aggregate and total bond market. And, you know, that's just going to be your plan. You're going to stick to it no matter what rates do. To me, that is, I view that, the odds of that proving to be long-term, successful long-term as, as greater than trying to make moves based on what you think interest rates are going to do. Maybe some of you have had more luck predicting the rates. I certainly have not. <laughs> Bonnie, San Filippo, welcome. That's so I, I would say that Bonnie is my mom's crazy friend, but people that know Bonnie would probably say my mom is Bonnie's crazy friend. It's a toss up, if I'm being honest. It's fun to see people that I know, like my mom, join the show. Afterwards, she'll, 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 she'll call me tomorrow. Honey, your, your show was so good. I didn't understand a thing you said, but it was so good. Moms are the best. Jason wants to know what happens to the three-month or six-month T-bill ETFs when rates go up. Well, immediately, if they were, well, it's hard. I guess they could go up 100 basis points quickly uh, for that short, short of duration. Um, but yeah, they would lose, they would go down in value. I mean, of course, you know, there are three or six-month T-bills, so you're probably going to hold it to maturity. You're going to, you know, get, you know, the, the whatever the amount you invested. Well, you invested a lower amount, you'll get the the, the face value, and the, but uh, well, this is with an ETF, so it'll just constantly be buying and selling to maintain the duration, and it'll lose a little bit of money if rates go if rates go up, but then it'll make it up eventually with the yields because the yields are higher. So, I, I wouldn't personally, if I'm looking at three or six month T bills. I'm personally not concerned about interest rate risk. By the way, interesting thing that, and, and I, I wonder how much this book talks about it. You know, we talk about duration, right? Now with a, a T-bill, so maturity is how, you know, when, when the bond matures and you get your money back. So let's imagine a T-bill. Let's take a six-month T-bill. It's maturity is six months. Duration is, and there's different ways to calculate duration, but duration is effectively, the way I like to understand it and think about it is, it's the average time it will take you to get your money back. Well, in a normal bond that pays interest, say every six months, yeah, you get most of your money back when the bond matures, because that's when if you invested $1,000, that's when you get your 1000 back. But you do get money along the way in form of interest payments. 
So in that case, the duration is always going to be shorter than the maturity. How much shorter depends in part on how big the interest payments are. The bigger they are, which that would mean you're getting more money each every six months, the shorter the duration, right? Hope that makes sense. Because remember, it's an average. So think of it as like a weighted average of when you get your money back. So if you're getting these big interest payments, um, that carries more weight, so to speak. And so your duration is shorter. As interest rates or yields are lower, you're getting less and less, has a, 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 a less significant effect on duration. So your duration is longer. Still, it's never more than maturity, right? Well, with the zero coupon bond, which is what T-bills are, you know, you buy them, you buy a thousand dollar bond for like, I'll just make up a number, 970. And at six months, you get all your money back, but you have to wait the six months. So the maturity and the duration are the same, but it's still really short, right? Now, we've often said that if rates go up by 1%, the value of a bond or bond fund goes down roughly by a percentage equal to the duration of the bond or the average duration of the fund. And the reverse is true. Rates go down, value goes up. But the thing to keep in mind is that uh, the duration of a bond or bond fund is not static. It changes over time as yields change. Because just like we described, if yields are high, duration is lower. Yields go low, duration goes higher. And since yields are constantly changing, the duration of a fund or bond can change over time. It's one that we got crushed this year in bonds. Um, I work, I'm working on a video. I hope to have it out um, tomorrow. But I'll show you. It's about the 60-40 portfolio. But let me show you something. I'm going to create uh, here. I'm, I'm going to create a 60-40 portfolio. We're just going to use VTI, total U.S. stock market. And, and uh, actually, no, we're going to do it differently. We're going to do asset allocation. And we'll just use U.S. market 60. Because I want a lot of data. This will go back to 1972. And, I, and we're going to use treasuries, intermediate uh, term, because they have enough data. Whoops. So the video is about whether the 60-40 portfolio is dead, which a lot of people like to write about. Um, and one of the reasons, well, I'll show you one of the reasons people are asking that question. We'll analyze this portfolio. See, we go all the way back to 1972. I want to come down here. Here's how the portfolio, portfolio performed. Boy, that's an ugly year, right? That's, that's you know, no good. Um, and that's why people are asking that the question. What I found interesting uh, in this chart is, um, and actually what I'm going to do is change this a minute. I'm going to make this 100% and this 100% so we can look at them separately. So um, if we come here, uh, the blue is the U.S. stock market. The red is the bond market. You can see they're both down, right? But look over here. Red is up. Treasuries up, 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 up. No, not up, up a lot, but they're up. They're up, 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 up. In fact, they don't know their first down year in this data series until 1994. What do we remember about the 70s and early 80s? Interest, uh, inflation went through the roof. Interest rates went through the roof. Like, right, they went, they started around 6%, jumped to what, 14 on the yield, something like that? So it raises the, the question, well, wait a minute, okay, then why, on a, this is nominal, right? on an after-inflation basis, everything got crushed in the 70s, but nominally, bonds were up. So why are they down this year? What happened? And I think the answer, uh, this is my working hypothesis, is that we started at 
In the 70s, we started at 6 or 7%, depending on when you measure it. Yes, they went up a lot, but they started at a higher level. A move from 1% to 2% is going to lose more, say, on a 10-year treasury, than a move from 6 to 7%. They've both gone up a percent. But 1% to 2 the value is going to go down more than if it moves from 6 to 7 And that move to 6 to 7 because you're at higher yields to begin with, you're going to fill up that hole, that loss of value, faster. That's my working hypothesis. Any bond traders out there listening can, you know, tell me why I'm wrong or add color to it or guide us. Maybe I'll have all of the answers after I read this book. Okay. Are we still doing a poll? Oh, we are. So 4% have trouble. I'm sorry. Uh, I, I, I will try to do better. Um, Okay. Noreen, I'm wondering, so you're a moderator. I wonder if you can create polls because you could ask people what polls they want. You could create them while I try to answer questions. I'm not sure if you have the power to do that. Oh, what we have, we have a poll suggestion from Dave. I like it. Here we go. For do-it-yourself investors, how many funds do you have? Do you own? I don't like have. Okay. So we'll say less than three. No, we'll say um, I'll get fancy. Equal to or less than three. Huh? Huh? Well, math there. I probably typed it in wrong. Uh, we'll say four to four to seven. And then we'll say seven to 15. No, seven to 14. And then we'll say 15 plus. Yeah, that's what we'll say. All right. Good question, Dave. Jason asks, prior bond question, Ray Nav, for the funds, is the raise in interest rates going to get rid of the advantage versus money market funds? I'm not sure I follow that. I think there's a good question in there, but maybe I'm not smart enough to understand it. Joe uh, says, Fisher... Greater than 50, not funds, but investments. Are you saying that you used them, Fisher Investments, and they had you in more than 50 investments? That's crazy. Yeah, Noreen says, um, I had an advisor, A.G. Edwards advisor, expensive funds, but I appreciated his advice. He encouraged me to keep investing when I was getting, when I was getting out of debt. And that's the tricky thing. I, I think people can use help. And a lot of it can be behavioral or just un learning, um, uh, figuring out the, which goals to focus on. Like in your case, Noreen, investing versus getting out of debt or maybe doing both. Um, I just think you need to find someone who, who doesn't charge you an AUM or doesn't charge you one that's much more than 30 or 40 basis points tops. Um, that's the trick. 
Fast Eddie is in 15 funds plus cash. That's a lot of funds. Dave wants to know what's easier to predict, future interest rates or future stock market returns? Well, I don't think either of them are easy. I will say that I think if I had if I was forced to predict predict one, I would pick stock market returns. But I'd want to pick predict them over a long period of time, like, you know, the next at least 10 years. And you know, Bogle talks about he 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 had a view. Uh, I think what his view was was the dividend yield plus expected growth. Now I don't know if he factored in buybacks to that equation. And in terms of predicting future growth, I mean, you know, your guess is as good as mine. But apparently, he was pretty good at it. So I've never used Vanguard's personal advisory advisor services. I've heard reasonably good things. I mean, you can't meet with them face to face. At least I don't think so. Maybe in this day and age, it doesn't matter. After COVID, we just zoom zoom everything. Um, I think they're very low cost. I like their approach to investing. Um, I didn't care for their digital advisory platform at all, but their personal advisory service is different. Um, so I've heard good things. You know, I mean, Vanguard has struggled with some of their services lately, and that's been a little frustrating. Um, but we'll see how they do going forward. All right. So Dennis, I think it's Dennis. Yes, Dennis, what percentage of your portfolio should be invested in international markets? Well, so you understand that you could ask 10 people that question who have given it a lot of thought and you're guaranteed to get 17 different answers. I tend to keep about 20% in an international fund. That's just where I'm, that's just my comfort level. I feel, I feel like I can, I can stick to that plan no matter what happens. I will say I've become more and more convinced that having direct international exposure is important for me. This idea that the United States is going to continue to outperform the rest of the world, I just am not buying it. Um, so that's just my opinion. You know, I'll tell you, a book that I'm reading, one I'm sure many of you have read, A Random Walk Down Wall Street, uh, and I've read it, I don't know, couple of decades ago. But one of the things he does is he walks through a lot of history of asset bubbles, many of which, you know, we've all heard of the tulip mania or South Sea bubble, or, you know, we know the, uh, you know, the tech stock uh, issues, 2000, 2001, 2002, real estate. But like he goes into like the, the Tronics bubble that he talks about, which was from like 59 to 62. It's just fascinating stuff. Um, but and he also talks about the, the nifty 50 and he talks about japan in the 80s and it's just a reminder that things can stay a certain way for a very very long time but they never stay that way forever i mean in the 80s japan had all the big companies not the us top 10 companies i don't know six of them were japanese something like that i mean warren buffett made this point i think at the last berkshire meeting uh, I'm not predicting like some huge downfall in U.S. companies, but I just think it's prudent to diversify beyond U.S.-based companies. And I get the argument that U.S. companies do business all over the world, but I still think um, things can affect a country in a way that affects their, their companies more 
differently than, than in other countries. Okay. But again, the percentage at 20, I don't say that to suggest it's the best or the right for you. That's just where I am. Okay. I've lost your message. All right, I'll go to the next one. So my stream keeps going up and then I can't see past, like it only allows me to go back in time so far, which is a little frustrating. Uh, here's a question from Jay. Is it okay to buy T-bills in your individual brokerage account? Well, that's how I do it. I'm, I think it's much better than Treasury Direct. Um, and, or, oh, I see, or, well, or should they be purchased in after-tax accounts? You mean like a retirement account? I mean, I, I wouldn't, uh, T-bills, you don't pay st state and local taxes. So you get an advantage. Now you may be in a no, no income tax state, but that's an advantage to T-bills. Um, so I kind of like them in taxable accounts for that reason, but it's not the same as a muni fund because you're still going to pay federal income tax. So you're still going to pay the lion's share you know, of the taxes. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily rule them out for a retirement account, but I have them in a taxable account. Uh, so Joe wants to know about updates on my best investment tracking spreadsheet. Like I know I haven't, and I actually took a note today to, to put it on the, my to-do list to update it because of an email I received uh, asking about it. And there are some things I want to do to it. There, there are things I've been doing to my personal version of the spreadsheet, but I am, I, I do want to do an update. It's a question of time. Um, so this is good. So the do-it-yourself investors, you have 21%, 154 votes. What's up with the other several hundred people watching? Are you not voting? You got to get out the vote. We, I need to get little stickers you can put on. I voted. Okay. 21% of you have three or fewer, not less. Am I right, mom? I think I am. Three or fewer funds. 47% have four to seven. So this is a pretty good bunch. I mean, this is a pretty you know simple uh, strategy. 23 have seven to 14. Now, some of this could be because you've got a 401k here and an IRA there and different options, and I get it. But 10% of you are troublemakers. And that's down to nine. You're at, at more than 15 plus funds. That's a lot to manage. That's okay. All right. I'll end that poll. So the question is, is it better to have an emergency fund in savings account or money market funds? Now, I understand that a money market fund is different than a money market account. Money market account at a bank, FDIC insured, is different than a money market fund, which is like a mutual fund to broker. I mean, strictly speaking, I if I if, you know all other things being equal, I would have it in a savings account because there could, in theory, be a liquidity issue. I mean, I guess in theory, you could have it a bank that goes under, and it could take some time to get the FDIC proceeds or insurance kicked in. But all other things being equal, I would probably have it in a savings account. Here's a good question. This is from Karen. And it's three questions. I only see two. Maybe it's another chat, another message. But uh, does it make sense to have a target date fund that is set way beyond your retirement date? Absolutely. I mean, you, what you should ultimately strive for is the asset allocation that you, you think is best. And it may or may not be 
the target date fund that corresponds with the year you think you'll retire. I like, I always like to say there are no target date fund police. They're going to come and arrest you because you're in the 2050 when you plan to retire in 2035 or whatever. And then the second question, what about having TDS with other investments? Perfectly reasonable. In fact, Paul Merriman talks about that. I think he does a portfolio with, I think this, I think he came up with this idea or someone in his team. And I, I by the way, I was talking to Paul this past week um, and I'm going to do a thing with him. It'll be on Zoom. It's not until next year. I'll let you know more. Uh, I think I'm going to be talking. They do a thing. I guess it's like a conference. I don't know. Um, I'm going to be talking about investing in your 40s and 50s, roughly. Anyway, he has one where I think it's target date fund and like small cap value. I think a TDF plus some other fund or whatever, but it's still keeping things simple. Very reasonable. You said you have three questions. I only see two. Uh, I don't know. I did the best I could. So, so what happens with this? I have to figure out how to do this. Oh, that's no good. What's all that about? Um, because I the messages, they some of them go past me and I can't get back to them. I need to reach out to Restream and figure that out. All right. Anyway, you guys don't care about that. It's not your problem. Um, okay. And they're moving on me. Part of an asset. This is interesting. Um, Sam says that Kevin O'Leary owns Tesla stock. I didn't know that. That obviously doesn't pay a dividend. Kenny says I'm doing better than last week. Thank you, Kenny. I think. Yeah, I think so. It, it, my last week self probably doesn't thank you, but my this week self is very grateful. All right. You guys are all over the short-term question, the short-term investing question. So Vishnu wants to know what is the risk of losing money in a market money market fund versus T-bills versus treasury notes? Well, it depends what you mean by losing money. So let's if you mean literally the money not being paid back. Well, with T-bills and treasury notes, it's next to zero. I mean, I guess there's no nothing that's risk-free technically but the government can basically print money to repay the bonds. Um, if we're talking interest rate risk where the value could go down and you might want to sell before maturity, then treasury notes are going to have a greater risk, right? Because they're longer duration. T-bills are up to a year. Treasury notes are what? I think one to 10 years, I think. Yeah. And then bonds after, I think after 10 years, but in any event, treasury notes are, they're longer duration bonds. So they have higher, or more greater interest rate risk. Uh, money market funds hold a, a variety of short-term paper, they like to say. It's paper, bonds, notes. Uh, I think they probably own maybe some, I assume some investment grade corporate bonds. I confess I've never opened up the hood of a money market fund. Let's see here. Let's look at Vanguard's. Portfolio composition. Let's see what they own. So <laughs> this is not helpful. They own 160 holdings. Average maturity is 11 days. But 
uh, let's see if they tell you what they're actually invested in. I mean, we could go into their prospectus, which I don't want to do. Well, I guess here, repurchase agreements, U.S. government obligations, and U.S. Treasury bills. I don't know. There you go. They're pretty safe. I mean, I understand the 0809 crisis and that kind of spooks folks. I get it, but. Okay. So Craig points out, the question is, isn't it strange that brokered CD yields are higher than investment grade corporate bond yields? Fixed, Fidelity fixed income page. So he's back to here. Um, so the brokered CDs, let's see, where's corporate? Well, they have several here, right? I mean, all of these would be investment grade. Uh, so uh, they're not, well, that range, they're not higher. Maybe, I mean, maybe you're looking at like triple A, but all of these would be investment grade, right? So you, you could find higher, just depends. So the, the point there being, you know, if you start at the highest investment grade and you work down, as you, as you move down, there's slightly more risk of default. And so the yields go up to compensate for that. Yeah. I've never bought a corporate bond. I mean, I own them indirectly, or I own them through index funds, but I've never bought an individual corporate bond. No. Oh, this is a good question. Should we worry about putting our money in a private broker like Fidelity, M1, or Webull versus public? Well, I don't know from a regulation standpoint it matters. I mean, certainly public companies are regulated, you know, differently from a from the perspective of um, like the SEC and the securities market. But I got to believe that the inner workings of these brokers are heavily regulated apart from whether they're public or not. I mean, Fidelity is a bank, has a, a as part, part of Fidelity is a bank. Um, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't, it's an interesting question. I've never thought about it. I, I guess I can't say for sure it doesn't matter. That's a good question. I don't know. I'll give that some thought. Okay. So um, Vinyl says the long-term treasury market is becoming somewhat illiquid. I mean, uh, and I have, you know, Yellen, I think, was commenting on this. Uh, I don't think she put it quite that way, but just that there were some auctions that did raise some concerns. It's an interesting issue because, you know, what happens, well, I mean, at the end of the day, we, it would just increase yields. I mean, eventually you'd find a buyer, but um, I guess it could royal the markets, but I don't think we're there yet. Vinyl says they're all heavily regulated. So, but again, the a public company is going to have a, a separate type of regulation, but I don't think that's what we're concerned with. I mean, unless you invest in them, right? We're worried about our investments held at that broker being safe. And that is heavily regulated. So remember that TFX, or is that the name of it? I always get the, these acronyms. I can't keep up with them. 
It was, well, they had a U.S. arm, but it was located in the Bahamas. <laughs> it's another reason why. Um, I can't believe, I just am stunned that O'Leary invested in them, but maybe I should, I shouldn't, FTX, that's what it is. Maybe I shouldn't, I, I don't mean to be, I mean, we all, look, we've all, I'm sure, made investment mistakes. Uh, but I think it was located in the Bahamas. I confess I've, I've, I've been to the Bahamas several times, actually. Never invested in a company located there, at least not that I'm aware of. Okay. TC agrees with the idea of having an eight-year-old choose an actual stock rather than an index fund. I would probably do both. But yeah, I mean, they'll have fun following the stock. You just got to be careful because if it's McDonald's, they're going to want to go there all the time. You know, I haven't had a, like a McDonald's hamburger in, it's probably been decades. Okay. So Frank wants to know recommendations workflow for those in the 401k to choose funds when the choices are limited. So the first thing I do is go to index funds. Do they have any index funds? Most of them, I think, are going to have either an S&P 500 or total stock market. I don't really care which one. Um, one of the things I'd, I've done in the past, and I don't have a 401k anymore, but when I did and the options were bad, and that happened from time to time, if I could find one good one, and then I'd, I'd try to work my allocation around between that and maybe an IRA or whatever, it's okay. I've got an S&P 500. It's low cost index fund. Good. I'll put all my 401k in there, assuming that I can do that and the allocations all work out. And then use my other funds, like an IRA or whatever, to get the other exposures that I need. Um, but they've got to, I got to believe, 403Bs can be real problems. Um, I got to believe they're going to have low cost index funds. Yeah, I hope. All right. Oh, interesting. So Frank wants to ask, you know, if I can add Morgan Stanley private bank, do they sell CDs? Morgan, doesn't that sound, it sounds so exclusive. They don't have just a bank. It's a private bank. Let's see what we've got. CDs, Morgan Stanley. I don't know if this is private bank. It's a long PDF. That's not what I want. How about some rates? What's this? Another PDF. What's up with Morgan Stanley and all the PDFs? I want to show you their rates. Compare Morgan Stanley. Oh, that's someone else. I'll have to find them. Do you have a, do you have a, a link you can drop in the chat? Or you're probably not allowed to. Maybe you can email me. Or I'll just do some more Google Googling. Um, so, oh, here we go. Probably the most important question of the day from Benny. How is your downward dog? It's hanging in there. I'll tell you, you know, you start out and you think, I got this. I mean, I'm not that flexible, but I can do a downward dog. But by the time you're doing about the 27th one, as you fl flow through all these things and your, your hands or your arms, are like, yeah, 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 yeah. you know, and then you look over and one person's doing a, a headstand. Another one's got, you know, flying legs everywhere. And I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. But other than that, it was fine. 
Jay, thank you. Love your Sunday newsletter. Quick read and always some interesting articles. Thanks for all you do. I love putting that thing together. Um, and I've, I can't tell you how many people have emailed me to say they enjoyed it. And if you've never, I can show you the newsletter. It's not, I mean, it's a, it's a short newsletter. Um, let me log in. I'll show you a version. I'll show you last week's. It's interesting too, because as you'll see, I have, well, really three sections, but one of them is just links to the videos I've put out, um, that week. But the other two are, um, Okay, so this is last week's, um, you probably can't read that. This is la this is it. This is the whole email. Um, and th usually the top three are about investing with a, usually with a retirement kind of angle. Not always, but then here are my videos. And then I have this in case you missed it. I don't know why I called it that, but I did. Um, and I, I probably get more interesting emails from folks about this section. And I do find these these articles fascinating. The, the, you know, that's why I put them in there. Anyway, and then like if I have anything on tools or where this was about that that bond blocks that I mentioned earlier. So yeah, I have fun putting it together. Hmm. Sophia says my old advisor had me in sixteen funds for a decade. The new guy is eight funds, but he's not really helpful as I tell him what I am going to do. And he agrees it is a great idea. Well, so no more in 2023. Well, good for you. Oh, VJ, I can't believe this. VJ from Michigan, he does hot yoga too. It's like an index fund of workouts. So yeah, apparently um, there's different heat settings. Like you go to one place and it's where I go, it's 95 degrees which I think sounds just dreadful. But apparently, as hot yoga goes, that's not that hot. Like they were telling me, oh yeah, the one down the street or whatever, they're 105, 110 degrees. I'm like, doesn't that kill you? I think you die, right? I mean, after an hour, it's not possible. Then I think, well, no, there's Phoenix. I don't know. Of course, that's a dry heat. Hot yoga is not a dry heat. All right. So Jay says, or JJ, in 30-year, oh, 30-year-old investor, never understood the logic of allocating any of my portfolio into a bond fund at 4% returns versus VU at 12%. Please explain if I'm missing something. Well, this is really partly a, a, the point of um, the video uh, that I'm going to put out, hopefully tomorrow. I actually did, a, I did, I, I did the video, but I may redo it. I don't, I don't, I rarely do that, but yeah. Here's the deal. So um, this is, we're going to go back to the 60-40 portfolio and we're going to compare it to 100, uh, to an all 100% stock portfolio, right? My question to you is, without looking, no cheating. In fact, we're going to do, um, we're going to do, a, a, before I show you the results, we're going to do a, a poll. How much more did the, 100% stock portfolio earn, okay? 1% more, this is over 50 years. 2% more, this is based on compound annual growth rate. 3% or four plus plus percent. 
give that question a let me what do you got for me nine votes There's 360 of you watching at the moment. Oh, we got 30 votes. Thank you. So 23% say 1%, 23% say 2, 10% say 3, 15 now it's going up. 42% say 4 or more percent on the compound annual growth rate. Well, I'll let you keep voting, uh, but I'll show you the answer. Where is my portfolio visualizer? Here we go. So um, look at this. Stocks, 10.28. Compound annual growth rate, 60-40 portfolio, 9.16. Not a huge difference. Now, obviously, over a 50-year period, the number here, the balance, big difference, right? Uh, but this is not huge. Uh, and, and look at the standard deviation, which is a measure of volatility. Just under 16 versus just under 10. And so this is why the 60-40 portfolio is sort, you know, is sort of the portfolio, the sort of the standard sort of starting point portfolio for retirees, because it gets you 75 or 80% of the return, but only a half or 60% of the volatility, which is what retirees often need, right? Because of sequence of return risk and all of that. We need the returns to power us through a 30 plus year retirement. But we really need to avoid the volatility because, as we know, it could, it could, if it really doesn't go our way the first 10 or 15 years of retirement, it can wreck our, our retirement. Um, and so that's why you notice you notice people aren't asking if the 70-30 portfolio is dead. In fact, it's always the 60-40. I'm giving away the whole – I shouldn't even do the video tomorrow. This is basically everything. If you Google – you know, if I Google is the 60-40 uh, portfolio dead – I get, you know, a bunch of, you can't really read them, but a bunch of, you know, is the 60-40 portfolio dead? JP Morgan, US News, same question. Some other site I've never heard of, CNBC, Kiplinger, Vanguard, right? Now, what if I Google, is the 70-30 portfolio dead? I mean, right? Why should 60-40 get all the attention? If I Google that, guess what I get? The exact same articles is the 60-40 portfolio dead. Here it is. There's, you know, and the reason is because it's sort of the core. It's not the only reasonable option, but it's the core sort of retirement portfolio. It fits squarely within, uh, you know, sort of Bill Bengen and the 4% rule. He, he had a range. It wasn't just that portfolio. It's that, you know, and, and a lot of factors could make a different portfolio more reasonable for you. Um but that's why it gets so much attention. And the interesting thing is, uh, JJ, back to your question. Again, as a long-term investor, you got decades to go. I wasn't in a 60-40 portfolio. I'm not now, actually. Um, but if you know, I'm in my 20s, I'm going to be at, at 90-10 probably for me. Many people will be 100% stocks. That's fine um, if you can stomach it. Uh, but the interesting thing to me uh, is that if we compare this over a different time period, like let's Let's go 1972 to 82 because, you know, everyone's worried, boy, is inflation going to stay bad and rates keep going up like they did in the 70s? Well, here we go, 72 to 82, right? We're going to compare these two portfolios. 
And um, but look, they're neck and neck. They're basically identical. The second one is the all stock portfolio. It actually underperformed, I mean, not by much, 10, 12 basis points, but with much higher standard deviation, 17 versus 11. Um, so, you know, you can have significant bond exposure and match or even beat the uh, total stock portfolio for a pretty long period of time. Man, I should just replay this. That's what I'll do tomorrow. I'm going to cut this out and just publish it tomorrow for people who weren't, weren't watching tonight. It's probably more than you bargained for, JJ, but it's a great question. And by the way, and that could still mean that 100% stocks is perfect for you, right? I don't know, but it could be. All right. It's 8.28. You know, I'm, I'm very upset with Peyton and Eli. Uh, they are, they've taken a hiatus. They're not, there's no Manning cast tonight. They're not back till December 5. I don't know. I just don't think that's right. I think, I think uh, they've let us down. It's going to say that. But I'm still going to probably watch football tonight. So Robert mentions Brilliant Bank, 4% of the money market. I am proud to say um, that we have them on our site. They're not an advertiser. So by the way, on my advertisers here, I mention this every now and again. I list these, you know, I'll have like something like this, which is an ad or over here, but, and I have disclosure here, ad disclosure, but when I list this, it's just based on APY. And, you know, so like Brilliant Bank, they're not an advertiser, but they're going to be one. CFG is not. UFB is. Uh, Merchants is not. Anyway, it's a little harder with credit cards. How do you list credit cards? It's not quite so easy, but with, with bank accounts, it's really easy. But there's Brilliant Bank. Let's see if we've, yeah, there it is, 4.01. Don't know a thing about the bank. But yeah, it's a good rate. Thanks for mentioning that, Robert. All right. Kat says the show is not blurry. So that's good to know. So I'm looking at comments that you guys left at 7.37, almost an hour ago. That's how far behind I am in comments. Um, Dennis says... She forgot her glass. No, that's not it. Where's Dennis? Here we go. Dennis says she forgot her glasses. Now, I have no idea what Dennis is talking about, but it reminds me of an article I read, you know, that Apple is apparently working on glasses that are going to be, I guess they wouldn't call I guess they're going to call it augmented reality. I think that's what it is. Apple glasses. It's a thing, apparently. And here's, here's what I find interesting. I don't know a thing about this technology. But imagine we could put on regular, pretty much regular looking glasses, right? Like, you know, I don't know, probably, probably better, something, better looking than this. But, and it could project screens, whether it's a monitor or even a television, um, that looked real, that looked like what you're looking at a screen. Now, I don't know if that's ever going to be possible, what they'll actually look like, and that you could work. I don't know, wouldn't that be, that would be, a, I think, a pretty revolutionary thing. I mean, I, you know, certainly it would reduce the hardware, it could, right, that you need to produce, which ha would have a positive, I would think, environmental impact, a positive cost impact. I'm not suggesting Apple's going to come out with glasses next year that do, do, does away with the need for monitors, but I don't know, I'm pretty excited about it. Um. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm tired now. 
I am skimming through. I like all the thumbs up. Like I see this now. It's like the Saturday Night Live skit where the person laughs like 10 seconds after the joke or 10 seconds before, whatever. I'm showing my age there. I'm I'm now seeing thumbs up from like an hour ago. I have no idea what the thumbs up were about. Let me scroll down to real time before we, we bring this plane in for a landing. Wasn't that horrible? It was it in Dallas, the air show. Awful. This is interesting. Mike um, says, where'd it go? Here it is. He's going to annuitize his bond portfolio. It's an interesting idea. You know, I do want to have Wade Fowle on the show. I've said that it's probably going to happen after the new year. Um, I don't know what the risks are there. I mean, the thing that, the, the, you know, the downside that I could see is they're not going to be indexed for inflation, right? It'd be something to think about. Now, of course, bonds can certainly return less than inflation unless you get tips. It's an interesting idea. All right, gang. So, um, Baron uh, says, I know you don't like gold, but it lowers volatility. Well, I think that it, it might over some periods of time, I would guess, and maybe not over other periods of time. But its returns are just awful. And they just are terrible. I understand if you pick the right time period that gold can actually help a lot. I get that. But it can hurt a lot, too. Um, and, it, you know, it's expensive. You know, taxes are different. Depends how you own it. You're probably not going to want to own physical gold. What a pain that is, um, you know. But you're if you're buying an ETF, you know you're paying for the storage one way or another. I don't know. I'm just not convinced on gold. All right, gang. So I will have some more videos out this week. You know, uh, at least that's the plan. I probably still would will do a separate 60/40 portfolio video because I think it's an important topic. I'm working through other financial planning tools, sort of working on income strategy right now. That's the tool I'm focused on, but I'll have some more videos along those lines. And uh, yeah, so there you go. Hope you, uh, hope you guys have a great week. And I guess until next week, uh, remember, I'm looking at the last comment. How about gold framed apple glasses? Eh, gold is too soft. I don't know. Maybe. Anyway, hey, until next time, remember the best thing money can buy is financial freedom and maybe a really good streaming platform. I'm gonna have to work on that.